This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach, it's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. Brian Kilmeade Show. I really think it's going to be a big show because this hour we're going to be joined by Peter Cancrow, and he is a guy that you might not know his name, but you know his place, Jersey Mike's. What's it like running a franchise? What's it like starting a franchise at 17 and then seeing this pandemic hit? And in New Jersey, they're not really rushing to open up businesses. He talks about what you need to do, what they're doing, and maybe how you can own a franchise yourself. Also, Senator Marsha Blackburn's going to be with us. Uh, she is outraged about a few things going on in Capitol Hill, as well as the slowness in which some of these states are opening up. Ladies and gentlemen, there is a success story to be told in Georgia, a success story to be told in Florida, a success in South Carolina that even Anthony Fauci saluted. Can we start building off that and stop with the, I am scared to death, I know the danger, we know the downside, but there is no choice. We have to take the hill. Special thanks to everybody who joined me last night on KRMG. was kind enough to uh, host a big Zoom for Sam Houston, the Alamo Avengers. Had a chance to be on with about 100 people last night, get all their questions. It was great. And Dan Potter uh, was just outstanding as my host. I kept him up late. You know, he's up in the middle of the night like me to do Fox and Friends. He does his show. Uh, And now we're back in action with this. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I'm not surprised to hear that Judge Sullivan wasn't prepared to accept what the department wanted to do. He was prepared, I think, to pronounce sentence. He didn't have much use for Michael Flynn and basically it suggested he Mm -hmm. was a traitor at one point. Yeah, uh, that is uh, Britt Hume, and uh, he is talking about a setback for Flynn. While the the truth about the Obama administration behind-the-scenes behavior reveals a nasty, reckless, possibly unconstitutional investigation on the Trump team, what we now know, and we're about to know, could shape the 2020 election, but might not be able to help the general. Number two. Our caucus have agreed that everything is coronavirus centric that relates to the virus. In terms of the House phase four bill, it's got so much unrelated to the coronavirus, it is dead on arrival here. Uh, that is, uh, that of course is Lindsey Graham and Nancy Pelosi. A spend, spend, spend. House Democrats reveal that their priorities are, and they unveil their largest stimulus package yet, $3 trillion, billions for the arts, humanities, and mail-in voting. Please, we're going to tell you what's in it and why Republicans say it is DOA. Number one. This is not about politics. It's about us. So this created a false divide, sort of two wars in, the, in America, an us versus them war and an us versus the virus war. If we try to fight both of those wars, we're going to lose both of them. Uh, that's Matthew McConaughey on with Brett Baer taking politics out of the pandemic. Is it possible? Matthew McConaughey says there is no other way. Someone tell the nation's governors as red states looks to open and blue states look to shelter. Let's see what stats say and what the polls reveal on who is right. 
Now look, I'm going to be the first one to tell you, I can't figure out this poll more than anything else. There's a poll out there by Pew Research that said 68% of the people surveyed in America fear more of opening up too quick than too slow. And only 33%, 34% think we're, uh, they fear we're opening up too slow. I don't know who they're talking to, but the reopening fight continues. And I see the success. Everything's bending backwards. They want us to bend the curve. We bend the curve and they move the goalposts. They move the goalposts to Michigan to a degree in Ohio, to a major degree in California. And in New York, we'll wait and see. If they open up in the next couple of weeks, okay. But what they're doing in Pennsylvania, if they try to do that in New York, um, that is totally dishonest, disingenuous, and will go directly against what the governor's been saying. I don't know, even those people who put the goalposts out there, they might just be too far away. Look, South Carolina has worked. Florida, Texas is working. There's going to be hot spots. It doesn't mean it's failing. It means you deal with it. So Dr. Anthony Fauci was on yesterday, and he kept politics out of it. I appreciate it. But he tends to be a little negative. I don't know if you've noticed. And as he speaks, you could almost hear the stock market crashing, warning us something we all knew. Cut three. What I've expressed then and again is my concern that if some areas, cities, states, or what have you, jump over those various checkpoints and prematurely open up without having the capability of being able to respond effectively and efficiently, my concern is that we will start to see little spikes that might turn into outbreaks. Okay, and then we'll handle it. Come up with a way to handle it. Don't tell us, don't try to open up a whole state because there might be spikes because someone goes to a nightclub irresponsibly, like I evidently that happened in South Korea. And there's Wuhan, which was locked down brutally, now has about 11 cases. Okay, they're handling the 11 cases. There was a little bit of a pushback in Japan, but not a total lockdown in Japan. That's the way we're going to handle it. And don't blame anybody if things come back. Thank goodness things are going well in Georgia. Brian Kemp was very much on the hook there. Even the president of the United States says he was moving too quick. But why aren't we pointing the good parts? I fear that politics is entering, entering into this. And I don't think people understand we don't have a choice. We cannot continue to write checks on an account that has no money. And this $3 trillion is just underlying that Democrats feel no urgency because they feel as though they can keep their constituent happy by writing these checks and not creating the urgency most of us feel. Here is Senator Tim Scott. Sadly, he's concluded what I, what I actually feel is a fact. Cut 17. I smell the stench of politics, partisan politics driving behavior for election results, not focusing on super sound science, as Dr. Scott Atlas said. Super sound science is where we should focus our attention. That leads us to the conclusion that if you don't have two underlying conditions, the chances are you're going to be okay. If you're under the age of 60, the chances are really high you're going to be okay. And in South Carolina, if you're under the age of 20, we've had not a single death. Ventilators, plenty. Tests, 40 to 50 million tests per month by September. You know that even the greatest critic of the administration is saying we're making great progress on tests. We all want it quicker. The sports leagues want it, but they don't want to take it away from the average citizen. They like worry about the blowback. I get it because the Nets got a whole bunch of tests in New York and other people didn't. And they said we can't be perceived to have a double standard. But 
the downside of waiting is too great because it's not an option because you're not going to have a city estate left. You can't just say, well, we lost a trillion dollars in Oregon, Washington, and California, and we have formed the Western Alliance, so we want a trillion. No, we, you can't get a trillion. It's not a matter of being selfish or favoritism. It just doesn't exist. Here's the mayor of Los Angeles making an astounding, astounding call yesterday. Cut 21. We're not going to fully reopen Los Angeles and probably anywhere in America without any protections or any health orders in the next three months. I think we know that it's going to be even longer than three months. We're not going to go back to pre-COVID-19 life anytime soon or jump forward to post-COVID-19 time until there is a medicine or a vaccine that allows that. We're fine with not going back to normal, but we want to go back to working. We want to go back to being there with such a consumer-driven economy to be able to go out to eat or go to a clothing store before uh, J. Crew and Neiman Marcus are joined by The Gap and every other clothing store under the sun. It, you know, time is not on anybody's side. When those PPP loans went out, it was to get us through a tough time, six to eight weeks. We're coming up at the end of those six to eight weeks. So it's not up to scientists to say, hold off. It's up to scientists working with uh, municipalities to say, here's how to do it. And if they don't do it, don't open them. But if they're more than willing to do it, they got their screw guns out. uh, They got their Clorox pads out. Let us get in the game. When we come back, a disturbing ruling from the judge uh, of with Mike Flynn. This judge, who already called Mike Flynn a traitor, obviously upset he's not going to get a chance to sentence him, has opened this up to anybody else to file charges against Michael Flynn and put his future, the verdict of his legal case, in limbo. He can't get a job, can't write a book, he can't even get pardoned because he's not been sentenced. I'm going to give you the details on that case when we get back with Marsha Blackburn, and then we'll take your calls at 1-866-408-7669. Keep in mind, if you ever want to catch up to the show and you're leaving your local affiliate, go to radio.com. You'll get us wherever you go. Intercom, put that out. It's an app. You're going to love it. And you go to briankilmeadshow.com this way you can watch the stream. And if you want to see what I look like every single day, Fox Nation televises. Another reason to double-click on the app. Brian Kilmeade Show, back in a moment. It's Brian Kilmeade. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-whim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. 
While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com slash path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com slash path. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. What we have is a president who is bound and determined to delegitimize those parts of the government that he thinks pose the greatest threat to him. It's all part of a plan uh, to somehow make those institutions weaker so that he can do the kinds of implicit illicit things um, that he has been uh, he's been doing. And he's facilitated by this attorney general. Uh, This attorney general is actually complicit in this by weakening these institutions. He is doing all that he can to weaken the very institutions that uh, that he leads. Exactly. Uh, that's William Barr. Hates the, the justice system and has taken his orders from Trump. Have you met Barr? Did you see almost he was so angry when the president brought up he wanted a lighter sentence for Roger Stone and how that made him look? Uh, let's see. I don't want to lead the witness. Senator Marsha Blackburn joins us now. Uh, Senate Judiciary Committee is her gig, as well as the Armed Services Committee. Hey, Senator, what do you think of Eric Holder's theory? Well, Eric Holder is going to have a lot of theories, and not all of them are things that I'm going to to agree with. And whether it is talking about the Trump administration, talking about the General Flynn case, looking at what is happening with COVID-19, uh, he is going to whatever he says, be pushing part of this leftist socialist agenda. Uh, Well, uh, obviously, he also thinks very little of uh, President Trump. So the uh, DNI now has the ability to let us know who requested the unmasking of Trump officials. We want to find out who else was unmasked in their conversations with uh, phone calls or with the other ambassadors. And we also want to know who requested it. When are we going to get that information, do you think? Brian, I think that we're going to begin this process of issuing subpoenas through the Judiciary Committee. Look, it boils down to this. Somebody cooked up this plot. Somebody gave an order to implement the plot. Somebody took an action. General Flynn and the Trump administration have paid a terrible pot price, and the American taxpayer has footed the bill for this entire thing. So people are saying, look, who did this? We want to know. Who were the somebodies that did all of this? Who unmasked these individuals? And who is it that they unmasked and why were they looking at them? And who was the briefer to President Obama? Look, we know now that this went into the White House, the West Wing, into the Oval Office. And on January 5th, it is documented that both President Obama and then Vice President Joe Biden were in that meeting. So they were fully aware of what was happening. 
So do you think they sincerely thought that Donald Trump had sold out to Vladimir Putin, headed up by General Michael Flynn, or did they just want to hurt the Trump administration? Do you know? Well, you know, Brian, they, it's become fairly clear from everything that we have read they did not see any signs of collusion. They made up a crime, and then they had to make up an action to go with that crime. That is why they framed General Flynn via the Logan Act, trying to say it was done via the Logan Act. So they committed this scenario. Like I said, somebody cooked the plot up, and then somebody said, let's send two guys over to the White House. They're not organized yet. And then somebody said, we think we can get him on this. You know, you look at the notes from the meeting. Do we want him to lie, to catch him, to get him fired, or to prosecute him? You know, this was something that they had a game plan. And this is what people want us to get to the bottom of, and it's Senate Judiciary Committee. In early June, we're going to call in General Flynn. We're going to follow it with subpoenas of others that were involved in this so that we figure out who did the unmasking, who gave the order to unmask, and then who did the unmasking, and then who did the briefing back to the Oval Office, the president, the vice president, so that they were aware of what was happening. By the way, uh, the, the judge, Emmett Sullivan says that he's going to take amicus briefs on both sides and at the appropriate time set a schedule for outside parties to argue against the Justice Department's claims that the government seeks to drop the charges. This guy, I think, is trying to outweigh the Trump team, thinking they're going to lose in November uh, and just make life more miserable for Michael Flynn. Can you see any other strategy here? Brian, I don't, and I agree with you on that. The fact that Judge Sullivan will not go ahead and release General Flynn and the fact that he is going to move to the friend of the court briefs is something that everybody is, whether they're for General Flynn or not, and agree with Attorney General Barr or not. They find these actions to be very curious as to why he would choose to do this after DOJ has already taken their action. You are on the uh, Senate Judiciary Committee. That's uh, chaired by Lindsey Graham, who says he wants to see Sally Yates. He wants to see Brennan and others. Uh, who do you want to see? And will you actually go to a subpoena if they won't show up willingly? Oh, I think you will see us go to subpoenas. Uh, Susan Rice is at the top of my list. When you look at the fact that she wrote that memo on Inauguration Day, and she was quite involved in this and seemed to know quite a bit, and finding out if she was involved in the unmasking and the selecting of individuals that they were following, that they had unmasked, and were following all of their communications. It is, um, it is inconceivable. I think also uh, looking at Joe Biden's staff, they had to know about this, the people that were around Vice President Biden. Now, I don't know if we'll get to the... This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it... <clears throat> 
a real POS. You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Point that we need to subpoena him, but certainly subpoenaing his chief of staff, his scheduler, people that were in that office is something that we want to do. The same thing with the, with the Obama team, people that were a part of this. Um, lastly, do you, I, we have 30 seconds left. Do you fear losing the majority in the Senate? We are going to do just fine in the Senate. We're working hard to make certain that we hold the majority, working on it every single day, uh, moving forward our agenda. And I'm glad that people are beginning to say, let's play a little hardball and push back on the Democrats with things like Nancy Pelosi's ridiculous $3 trillion Phase 4 bill. Which includes money for the arts. Of course, that's an emergency. We have to paint and act in times of uh, like this. I uh, appreciate it, Mark, uh, Senator uh, Blackburn. See you, Brian. Thanks. Your calls and emails next. Brian Kilmeade Show, a lot to discuss. We have not even gotten to Matthew McConaughey's urging to put politics aside. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. You know, a few weeks ago, about a month ago, uh, I could feel that this united purpose we all have as Americans to beat this enemy uh, and this virus, that purpose got hijacked a bit by partisan politics. And all of a sudden, the narrative became, if you want to go to work, you're on the far right. If you don't want to go to work and you want to stay home, you're on the far left. And now even the mask wearing is getting politicized, where... If you want to wear a mask, you wear a mask, you're a liberal. And if you don't, you're a conservative. And, and that's just not true. So this created a false divide, sort of two wars in, the, in, a, in America, an us versus them war and an us versus the virus war. And, you know, if we try to fight both of those wars, we're going to lose both of them. Yeah, I just thought we were going to make every effort to open up the country. And if it didn't happen, it's because circumstances prevent it. But now with the president licensing all the states to make their decision and it being an election year, many are saying, I'll take my time. The last thing we want is a revival of the economy and I'll prove it. If Joe Biden wins, you watch how quick these Democratic states open up in the fall. I mean, they shut down the whole Cal State college system in May. It opens up in September. I've never seen such acquiescence. I quit in May. I'm not going to give you a fall semester to thousands of students. Why? Well, we got to make sure. Well, go in there, fix the classrooms, change the massive lecture halls, say that's not going to happen or only seat them a third to a uh, maximum capacity. Don't just say we're not going to be on campus. I have news for you. The kids hate the online school. There's plenty of choices. Arizona State, the Phoenix School, Liberty University has great online education. Most choose not to. They want the experience. They're going to choose to go to another university. I hope they do that's going to try to reopen, 
like I know Purdue will, and I know other states will, especially if they have a, a college football team that wants to finance most of their university. Of course you can make your own decision. If you feel unsure, go online or go somewhere else. Uh, meanwhile, this is what, before I get to the phones, cause some of you people are emailing me and I appreciate it. John Joseph's writes, Brian, you sound so very frustrated with the whole COVID thing. Uh, this is so scary. The end of our country as we know it uh, is upon us if someone doesn't stand up to the deep state. Linda says about California, Newsom has to do what Nancy Pelosi wants him to do. That's her nephew. Is that true, Pete? Is that her nephew? Gavin Newsom is Nancy Pelosi's nephew? I didn't know that. Um, could we expect anything different? Plus, Nancy Pelosi had a lot of work on her fa- uh, had a lot of work on her face while she stayed home. Uh, how does she get away with that? Her eyebrows are up near her scalp. Linda, I did not know that, but you are allowed to get facial work done. I don't know if you could have you can legally stop that. However, the selective surgery thing is interesting because if you have elective surgery during this time, you're pretty much going against executive orders. South Carolina, John says, thanks for the great things about South Carolina this morning. While we appreciate uh, it, could, uh, you could tone it down a little because we've got people from other parts of the country now flocking to South Carolina to escape from their horrible states they're living in now. I know. I know a lot of people that moved to South Carolina that are related to, and they love it. Uh, but that was before this. Now that Georgia, Florida, and South Carolina are so successful, more will come, believe me. Uh, so that's some of your emails. Let's go to your uh, the phone. Steve is listening on WVMT. Hey, Steve, in Burlington, Vermont. Good morning. Uh, I think Dr. Fauci has an outstanding bedside manner, and that doesn't mean his advice is any better than anyone else or that you would actually want him to operate on you. And I think he appeals to the snowflakes who need safe spaces and a calming voice. I think if the, he and his type were in charge of World War II, the Allies would still be sitting in London planning the D-Day invasion without any casualties. And that's the real effort that we should be looking at opening our economy. You know, I think I don't, I don't even want to put, down, put him down. And, and, you know, he went out of his way not to be political yesterday, and I appreciate that. But Dr. Fauci has one thing. It's, for example, if you bring in a pitching coach, don't ask him about hitting. So you have a hitting coach and a pitching coach. Fauci is the pitching coach. What you got to do if you need offense, don't go to Fauci. I need offense. That's why I need economists and I need Fauci's expertise to bring me through. How do I reopen Milwaukee? How do I reopen Rochester, New York? Hey, uh, Dr. Fauci, this is some of the things we're doing. Will that stop the disease? Will that stop the virus? It won't. Okay, great. When I spray this, what are the types of material I need to spray this down? How could I quickly disinfect? When will it disinfect and actually work? Thank you. All to help me stand up, uh, stand up the economy uh, while using his expertise. But here's a little bit of the exchange he had. Uh, uh, here's a little of Dr. Fauci uh, talking about uh, the reopening. Uh, and a little bit of the exchange he had with Rand Paul, cut 14. I think the one size fits all that we're going to have a national strategy and nobody's going to go to school is kind of ridiculous. I think we ought to have a, a little bit of humility in, in our uh, belief that we know what's best for the economy. And as much as I respect you, Dr. Fauci, I don't think you're the end all. I don't think you're the one person that gets to make a decision. Cut 15. I, I have never made myself out to be the end all and only voice in this. I give advice according to the best scientific evidence. You use the word we should be humble about what we don't know. And I think that falls under the fact that we don't know everything about this virus. I think we better be careful if we are not cavalier in thinking that children are completely immune to the deleterious effects. 
And they also are getting, uh, they're actually getting a lot of stress, not being at school, not seeing their friends, not seeing their grandparents. Can't diminish that. When we come back inside the business of the pandemic. Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. Listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. As you know, on our show, we've been focusing a lot on business, the ones that are suffering, especially, and the ones that have to adjust to the real world. Some can't get off the back and get an okay from their state, their county, county executive, uh, their mayor, but most of all, their governor. Uh, and some are able to exist in this environment through takeout. Uh, and others understand that when they do open up fully and get their customers back full blast and school goes back, things have to change. Peter Cancro is, knows that, and he's already made the adjustments. He is CEO of Jersey Mike's Franchise Systems, and he has 1,700 stores in 47 separate states. Uh, Jersey Mike, or should I say Pete, welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Ah, thanks, Brian, and I give you a lot of credit for what you're doing. How do you keep up? Uh, I can't stop. I mean, uh, yeah. all of us are pretty much zoned in on this. I just feel uh, like you. I feel very lucky to be able to work through this. feel so frustrated for people who are just watching their careers go up in smoke, lose their jobs for the first time, or can't yep. get into their restaurant or hotel to even have a shot at surviving. How have you done it? Yeah, so right from the beginning, we were small little shops, maybe 1,000, 1,200, 1,500 square foot. So mostly takeout. We had some seating, but not that much. So for us, um, believe it or not, we put the tables in front of the counter. So people still kept coming in and would order. It was about eight feet away. Even some stores put the plastic from the ceiling to the counter. And we made the orders. And then with a tray, handed out the change with money and wiped down any register. We had pickup at the counter at the, uh, at the door and curbside pickup. So we adapted very, very quickly, and, um, and as a result, we were able to continue to give to the communities and feed, you know, I don't know, maybe we gave out like three and a half million subs at this point, it, something crazy that all of our owners are just so committed to. Yeah, so not only are you able to stay in business, but you're giving a lot back. What have you done to help our communities across the country? So our mission statement is a company started um, in 1975, when I took over this individual store, I watched two local businessmen in, in small town, Point Pleasant, Jersey Shore, about an hour south of Manhattan. Bob Hoffman, Hoffman's Ice Cream, Jack Baker of the Lobster Shanty gave unconditionally to the youth, the community, first aid. So when I took over, I was a senior in high school, 17, and we said, this is what we're going to do. And giving, making a difference in someone's life is our mission statement. We call it the power of the sub-sandwich. But all the owners really get it and uh, just so proud of what they've achieved, what they've done um, out there giving to hospitals, first responders, senior citizen homes, kids programs. Um, There was a hospital, Boca Raton, regional medical center they called and they, we said the owner said well how many people do you have <clears throat> they had 1500 people and we fed the entire hospital so we're fortunate to be able to continue to serve you know through all of this wow um 
And so people in need. How has the whole um, supply chain affected you? We keep hearing about the meat and pork shortages. Have you felt that at Jersey Mike's? Sure. I mean, we're around the country with a distribution company, Cisco, out of Houston, and they are a third-party provider. But what happened, obviously, they had all the supply and all of a sudden no customers. So they were sitting there, and then the manufacturers had to stop processing. They had to kill off a lot of their animals. So um, chicken and turkey come back the quickest, probably two or three months. Hogs, uh, maybe five, six months after that. Cattle, beef is the longest. But uh, so right now, yeah, we're looking up running out of roast beef right now. Uh, but we have turkey, we have pork, we have everything else uh, lined up. So we went to the manufacturers and started having them put additional supply, like backing it up weeks at a time and putting it on the floor. Still fresh, of course, but we kind of push the supply ahead of time. But there's going to be some shortages in the months to come, similar to the early 70s when there was uh, meat shortages. I understand. Um, so a couple of things. How much is your business off? Have you done the math across the country, being with 1,700 stores? Of course, yeah. So we were hit, along with everyone else at first, when the governors would announce that every state, people thought that we were shut down. They just heard, you know, everyone shuts down. They didn't realize that there were exceptions. So we were fortunate. We went on to the TV, a lot of advertising, which kind of told people that we were open. Uh, for takeout, uh, curbside delivery, and third-party delivery, which was big. In the beginning, we had maybe 85% of the sales were walk-in and takeout. Now it's about 50, and 50% is third-party delivery and order online for takeout. Um, so it's dramatically changed. So uh, at least you can, at least you have a fighting chance. When you talk to other restaurateurs, and whether it's fast food or formal, uh, formal dining, what are they telling you? Yeah, so a lot of people at first, you know, just shut down. And I was urging pretty much every owner, friend that I knew, you've got to open up for takeout. And even though maybe you've never done that much before, some restaurant companies are achieving, you know, kind of record sales because of this takeout. So you have to adapt. You've got to get the packaging. And one of the big things we had was our technology. So we have that online order app. A lot of the things that we did from years back up until now really kind of made us ready. But there's so many people just devastated out there. What are they doing? They're out. Um, but the payroll protection, the government came with that very quickly. Um, I was really surprised that they were doing something like that. At first, there were some issues, but now the second tranche of money, um, there was a lot of people all across the country that did get that emergency funding for small business. Did you? Yeah, a lot of our stores did. Um, they went after it again, small, the epitome of a small business, 1,200 square foot, sub shop, and they got hit, but uh, they went after their payroll for a year of their monthly payroll, two, two and a half times the uh, average, and they would typically get around, you know, thirty-five to 50000 uh, unbelievable amount to help owners pay their payroll and continue right. to kind of, you know, do their business. At first, there was uh, no financial, um, you didn't have to show any financial uh, harm or hurt, or, and they were just giving the money, but then now, you know, you have to prove that you really need it. How many people have been laid off in your, mm -hmm. do you know? I know it's a franchise. You don't own all of them. You, you, 
you sell them. Oh, of course we do. How many? <laughs> no, yeah. so um, but our our business, we've been very, very fortunate. We have not laid off anyone in the company. We have about 200 people in corporate down the Jersey Shore, and the 1,700 stores, again, you know, it was only a few that wanted to opt out because they felt, you know, scared at first. But all of those people are back because of the things that we did, the initiatives in the store for safety. Um, so we did not have to lay off anybody. Matter of fact, we're looking so Peter, for additional people, like similar to like Domino's is looking for additional people. Excellent. So go to Jersey Mike's, you're looking for a job. Fantastic. We're talking to uh, Peter Cancro, who's the CEO of Jersey Mike's, who at 17 convinced his football coach, uh, who's a banker, to give him a loan to back him uh, to buy a sub shop. And it's now become this uh, unbelievable success story. Uh, you also have a scholarship program for that. Uh, tell me what you did in your coach's name. Yeah, so we went around the country October, November, and December, and we're kind of unlike most franchise companies. We have a new look coming in all our restaurants, a little bit more contemporary, a little bit more upscale. And we announced to all the owners across the country, if we're going to talk about putting ourselves first, I mean putting others first before ourselves, giving and pulling people along as our leadership tactic, I said we've got this. So we're anning up where I think we're the first franchise company in history, we're paying for all of the retrofits of all the stores. And then with that, I said, now that the owners are happy, I said all the crews, the assistant managers, the managers that were there, I announced the Rod Smith Sponsorship Award. That's the name of my coach that on a Sunday night, I went over and I said, hey, coach, this is what I'm doing. And he said, you know, I think we can do something. And he did. And we still talk today. And uh, it was just an incredible time. Uh, 1975, so 45 years ago. Um, so overnight success, I like to say. But we are now getting managers, key people that have worked in the business, that no management, that no training, and we are sponsoring them to get into their own store. The first are Hayden and Holly up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and we're looking for a location now, but we feel we'll do as many as 25 this year, and hopefully up to 50, we'd like to do 100 a yeah. year. They get an opportunity think, like I did. Yeah. And who would think that Jersey Mike's has a future in Wisconsin and everywhere else across the country that they do? <laughs> and, uh, right. and, Peter, let me ask you this. Let's look big picture for a second. I'm under the belief that people who are entrepreneurial like yourself want a shot of adjusting to the environment, and the environment's horrific. It's a pandemic. Okay, put up plexiglass. Let's separate the seats. Let's change uh, how we uh, serve. Whatever it is, I sense that you'll make the adjustment. Don't other restaurateurs have that same mindset? And don't you wish the mayors and governors would give them the chance instead of a blanket, you're shut down? I think at this point, everyone gets it. Even the mayors and governors, I mean, it's going to be a week or two. But come on, everybody gets it. They're wearing the mask. They have the distance. They they bring their Clorox wipes and they don't touch any handles or surfaces. We're disinfecting the restaurants. Everyone will be back in, and yes, the seating will be pushed out or, you know, again, moved, and it will be okay. Like I've said to anyone, you go to the grocery store to get groceries, you can go into our restaurants and, you know, start opening up. Um, Everyone is very cognizant of what's going on, and I think they will behave accordingly. So, And also, you have somebody on the floor policing it, Um, so we feel, you know, it's going to work and it's going to come back very strongly, but obviously, 
different, you know, with our feet on the floor, spacing people apart six to eight feet. We order the sandwich or in the restaurant, you're spaced out. In the old days when I used to go to dinner, I remember the tables were spaced out. They were never on top of each other. So we're just going to have to space it a little bit. Absolutely, the timing is now. Right. All right, Peter Cancro, uh, thanks so much. Congratulations on your incredible success and all you're doing to give back in this difficult time for the country, the CEO of Jersey Mike's. Uh, Peter, thanks so much for your real-life story. Appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Brian. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Hey, thanks so much. Privileged to have this hour. Katie Pavlich is going to be joining us from Town Hall. Great mind. Great political mind, especially. And you've watched her all over the channel. Elizabeth Lyons will be here. She's a country music star, an emerging talent. She's got a great song to inspire called Brave Enough. She'll tell us, bring us inside that, and we'll hear a little bit of it. And Congressman Andy Barr uh, will be with us in about 15 minutes out of Kentucky. He's on the financial services and banking uh, member, and he's going to have to vote on this horrific $3 trillion Nancy Pelosi debacle on how to keep America flat on their back, not working, cashing checks with no money in the account. Uh, That's coming out, and I'll give you some details on that. Also, as we come to you live uh, from New York and heard around America, we are getting some openings this week from our governor and some benchmarks that I believe Long Island is set to achieve shortly. My hope is that this governor acts like the Colorado governor and looks to open things up, not keep it shut down. Uh, We'll talk about all that. And keep in mind, if you ever leave our local affiliate and you got to travel, go to radio.com, get the app, or briankillmeadshow.com, you can get the podcast. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I'm not surprised to hear that Judge Sullivan wasn't prepared to accept what the department wanted to do. He was prepared, I think, to pronounce sentence. He didn't have much use for Michael Flynn, and basically he had suggested he Mm -hmm. was a traitor at one point. Wow, Britt Hume, let him have it. He's kind of being low-balling this, but it was sensational. And what a setback for Flynn. While the truth about the Obama administration behind-the-scenes behavior reveals a nasty, reckless, possibly unconstitutional investigation into the Trump team, What we now know and we're about to know could shape the 2020 election. We'll look at Flynn and we'll look at the unmasking. Number two, our caucus have agreed that everything is coronavirus centric that relates to the virus. In terms of the House phase four bill, it's got so much unrelated to the coronavirus, it is dead on arrival here. Yup, spend, spend, spend. House Dems reveal that their real priorities are, as they unveil the largest stimulus package that have a cost of $3 trillion, including billions for emergency items like arts, humanities, mail-in voting, and the post office. We'll tell you what the Republicans are going to say. Number one. This is not about politics. It's about us. So this created a false divide, sort of two wars in, the, in America, an us versus them war and an us versus the virus war. If we try to fight both of those wars, we're going to lose both of them. Taking politics out of the pandemic. Is that possible? Matthew McConaughey says there's no other way. Someone tell the governors as red states and blue states separate 
Uh, the red states want to open. The blue states are perfectly happy, it seems, outside Colorado uh, to just shelter. And there are Republicans that are a little conservative, like what's happening in Ohio. But believe it or not, the governors that are opening up quick, like Brian Kemp, has approval ratings around 39%. Mike DeWine, uh, Governor DeWine, much higher. But here's what Matthew McConaughey said. He notices what we all notice, that politics is entering into this science conversation, into the economic conversation. Cut to. You know, a few weeks ago, about a month ago, uh, I could feel that this united purpose we all have as Americans to beat this enemy uh, and this virus, that purpose got hijacked a bit by partisan politics. And all of a sudden, the narrative became, if you want to go to work, you're on the far right. If you don't want to go to work and you want to stay home, you're on the far left. And now even the mask wearing is getting politicized, where if you want to wear a mask, you wear a mask, you're a liberal. And if you don't, you're a conservative. And, And that's just not true. So this created a false divide, sort of two wars in, the, in, a, in America, an us versus them war and an us versus the virus war. And, you know, if we try to fight both of those wars, we're going to lose both of them. Uh, absolutely. Uh, but we are. And I can't believe it's entering into it. You know, the pandemic struck at an uh, inopportune time for everybody. No good time to get a pandemic, but especially in an election year where you have the press basically trying to diminish anything President Trump does and try to get them debating about West Wing policy instead of talking about American policy. I could see in the furthermore or the page six section of a, of a Washington political newspaper where you talk about who's wearing a mask in the White House and whose chief of staff has been quarantined. But I can't believe that if you look at the, uh, the massive media in Washington, they all talk about the president's mask policy, who's positive, who's not positive. And I'm positive that most of the rest of the country is not worried about that. That's something everyone's got to decide on. It's pretty clear that in these blue states, they're not counting on their people to act responsibly. And look at Pennsylvania. Went to Trump last time. He'll be there tomorrow traveling. But their Democratic governor has shut down the whole state because of a few hotspots in their major city. And they are, Congressman Wolf, excuse me, the Governor Wolf, has said, if these counties defy me, I'm going to deny them federal funding. I wouldn't be surprised if the president goes past the governor, if that's the case, and gets them the the funding directly. But Georgia has reopened, and so far, no noticeable change in daily cases. Now, if you look at the approval rating for Kemp, stunningly, even though he's given them their lives, their gyms, and their restaurants back, his approval rating is at 39%, contrasted with somebody like Mike DeWine, who's got 86% approval rating, who is going slow and a little bit unsteady towards reopening. Governor Cuomo, 86% of approval. Really? I guess you don't have any relatives, any nursing homes. I guess you don't look at the total number of cases. I guess you don't look at the total number of deaths. I guess you're not looking at the fact that he's changing the goalposts for reopening in the middle of the game while the ball is in the air. So some of these polls, and I know it's easy to diminish a poll when you don't like the results, but right now, 68% of the country fear more that we're opening up too fast than too slow. I have not met many of those people, and I might be wrong, but I have not. Here's Governor Cuomo on his schedule, cut nine. Today, in many ways, uh, it's a new phase, if you will. May 15th is the end of the statewide closure. May 15th is the end of this week. 
Uh, and the question is now going to shift more towards localities and regions across the state to uh, make sure they're in a position to open and uh, the state will be working in coordination with them. But it's an exciting new phase. We're all anxious to get back to work. Yeah, and the pace in which he does it will prove to me, or it doesn't do, it will prove to me whether he was sincere or not when he said we got to keep politics out of this. And if it is going uh, snail-like slow, knowing that the coffers are empty and he wants to make sure he gets a lot of direct grants from the federal government, if he opens up too slow and the, and the money starts coming in, maybe he won't get that grant, or he wants to make sure New York doesn't turn around, the economy doesn't turn around for President Trump. Does partisan, partisan politics play a role? As Matthew McConaughey said to start this show, he, the, the actor says we got to stop with the Republicans and Democrats, president good and bad, should not matter. But Senator Tim Scott, who has no problem reaching across the aisle, told me this this morning on Fox and Friends, Cut 17. I smell the stench of politics, partisan politics driving behavior for election results, not focusing on super sound science, as Dr. Scott Atlas said. Super sound science is where we should focus our attention. That leads us to the conclusion that if you don't have two underlying conditions, the chances are you're going to be okay. If you're under the age of 60, the chances are really high you're going to be okay. And in South Carolina, if you're under the age of 20, we've had not a single death. Right. The problem is, and I find this endlessly frustrating, and I'll take your calls and comments, one 408 is that you said to flatten the curve would lead us back to business. You gave us the PPP loans because in a short time you want us standing up our business again. He wanted our workforce ready to go. Our work, we are running out of money for those small businesses. We're not going to have a gym in any city that's holding out because the math doesn't add up. Unless you're doing it for a tax shelter, you can't pay your rent, pay your people not to work, run out of money, and continue to think you're going to open up the doors when... The state ends up standing up its economy. Here's what Tim Scott said. His frustration, all feels he feels the same way. Cut 24. While I respect the need for caution, we are too often presented with a false dichotomy, either saving our economy or saving lives. We've seen the goalposts around flattening the curve move, and I think that's unfortunate. Because at the same time we're doing that, businesses have collapsed. Mental and physical health have declined. Depths of despair escalate, education outcomes nosedive as we wait in our living rooms praying for some good news around therapies and around vaccines. So Anthony Fauci and those talked, but keep in mind, as the analogy I used last hour, uh, when you're a baseball team, you have a pitching coach, keep the runs down, and you have a hitting coach to make sure the offense is up. Anthony Fauci is fine. You know, he seems a very conversational guy, extremely smart. Great. He's the pitching coach. I need an offense. I'm going to talk to the pitching coach but because I want to win the game, but my offense is going to get me back in the game. So I need the offense. The offense is going to be, tell me how to open up that school, not it's too dangerous. Tell me how to open up that university, not it's too dangerous. Tell me how to get back in my building, not it's too dangerous. That's the offensive coach. And I want to refer to the pitching coach, Anthony Fauci, and the CDC Redfield as much as possible in order to find out how to disinfect that building, how to keep it disinfected, what type of products to use, how to set up my office space. But I also need the hitting coach to get me back in the game. 
So, so far, we have Congress writing a lot of checks as Band-Aids. I was stunned to see, but I shouldn't have been, that Nancy Pelosi in hibernation came back to work this week with a bill, with an invoice for $3.3 trillion. 3.3. What is in it? $916 billion for state and local aid, direct money to states, $10 billion for small business, $175 billion for health care, $175 billion for housing, $200 billion for a Heroes Fund. Oh, did I tell you included other things? $25 billion for the post office? Really? Uh, $20 million for arts and humanities? Yes, we need to paint and act. Yes, $50 billion is an emergency for college and universities? No, they're staying closed. Many of them are not putting the effort in. Explain to me why we got to bail out private universities, sometimes state universities. $3.6 billion for mail-in voting. Agenda item. one 408 I'll be able to take your calls, but next I'm going to talk to Congressman Andy Barr. Will he vote for a bill that includes that? Don't go anywhere. Brian Kilmeade will be right back. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. What I'm proud of is what we are doing. Our caucus have agreed that everything is coronavirus-centric and also in a timely way that relates to the virus. It's too deadly to our lives, to our livelihood, to our democracy for us to use it for any other purpose. Yes, uh, that's why it's an emergency we have to have cannabis. The cannabis business got to go and make sure they're up and running. Federally backed banks and insurers have to fund cannabis buildings. And we know that $25 million for uh, arts, and, uh, arts is definitely necessary. In a time of a pandemic, you want to be able to do plays. Uh, joining us now to make sense of the $3 trillion bill that's going to be voted on in the place he works, the House this week, Congressman Andy Barr, Republican from Kentucky. Congressman, welcome back. Brian, good to be with you. How are you? Good. You're with financial services and banking. Can we afford to write $3 trillion on money we don't have? No, we cannot. And um, it gave me enough heartburn as it was to borrow $3 trillion for the first four phases of the response. Uh, I felt it uh, necessary, obviously, to keep many American small businesses uh, uh, in operation and to prevent their bankruptcy and to prevent the layoffs of millions of Americans. And, and that's why I voted for um, the, the Paycheck Protection Program and the Main Street Lending Program and yeah. to support the emergency lending from the Federal Reserve. But uh, this is outrageous, this wish list of partisan ideological, and I would argue socialist ideas that pays people to not work and wastes uh, hard-earned American tax dollars on uh, on things that have absolutely nothing to do with fighting the coronavirus. All right, so we'll talk about that. I got Katie Pavlich coming up in 10 minutes. We'll break down what will happen. The word is if they ask for $3 trillion, they'll get $1 trillion. But they also want to neuter the president's ability uh, to fire inspector generals. Please tell me what that has to do with the pandemic. 
Uh, let's pivot, if we can, to China. For some reason, the Democrats look at our, uh, at the Americans' outrage on China as partisan. You don't see it that way, especially in light of the new reports. The CIA believes that China tried to stop the WHO and was successful, obviously, from sounding the alarm um, uh, on this virus, and it is human-to-human transfer, while they piled up PPE and sucked it up like a vacuum cleaner around the world. Does that back up that you believe more than ever they are an enemy? Yes, uh, you described the facts correctly, and uh, uh, I am uh, I'm glad that um, Leader McCarthy and the House Republicans are focused like a laser on uh, China's role in the origins of the pandemic and also their malign cover-up, their uh, activities that, that led to the spread of this disease. One study says that if China had not censored uh, whistleblowers early on in the pandemic, if they had been forthcoming, with the international community that we could have reduced 95% of the world's cases of the coronavirus. We have over 80,000 Americans who have lost their lives tragically to this. Obviously, our economy has taken a huge hit. We're incurring trillions of dollars of additional debt. Um, You know, the American people deserve answers to this, and we need to hold China accountable. This should not be a partisan issue. It is regrettable that the Democrats continue to be obsessed with um, right. with partisanship and impeaching President Trump and these these endless investigations of of the president, as opposed to joining with uh, their fellow countrymen across the aisle and focusing on the real adversary and the real threat, which is not President Trump, it's the it's the Chinese Communist Party. Right. Uh, by the way, just the latest. Uh, there's a legal scholar who on Saturday posted an open letter on WeChat addressing the National People's Congress. It's kind of like a rubber state legislature. It was about to do to meet later this month to not only sharply criticizing the handling of the epidemic on his regime, they also criticized its leader. They called on the legislature to order the release of political prisoners, legalize political parties, and, not, and non-state media. And guess what? He has disappeared. Yes, and, and, and he's not the first to disappear. We know that there were citizen journalists in Wuhan, in the Hubei province in December, who sounded the alarm, who were whistleblowers. And just like Dr. Uh, Li Wen Lang, um, they, they uh, were either arrested or they, we know that they disappeared. Uh, Dr. Li, the case of Dr. Li is, is very sinister. Uh, he, w- he's a, he was a young ophthalmologist. He was warning his fellow doctors in Wuhan, uh, that there was a very contagious pathogen, uh, pneumonia-like virus that was going around the Wuhan hospitals. And he, he warned his fellow physicians to don personal protective equipment and masks to protect themselves. Uh, he was arrested for sounding the alarm. He was forced to recant in writing by the authorities, by the communists, uh, with uh, the, the Chinese government. And, of course, we well, know that Dr. Lee later passed away. But this censorship... Uh, and the disappearance of whistleblowers is what allowed and enabled this virus to spread beyond the borders of China. And Congressman, good luck with this subcommittee. Make it effective. It's oversight investigation into China in particular. Uh, you're a member of the GOP China Task Force. So we'll look forward to talking to you again. Coming up next, Katie Pavlich. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts.
from his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. It's so disappointing to look at what we're seeing from right-wing media these days where there's such an obsession with the deep state and these revelations about the Russia probe and the decision about Michael Flynn. They're treating the Michael Flynn story like it's a bigger deal than the deaths of 2,000 Americans a day. In what right mind is any scandal, any political scandal, any Department of Justice story more important to ask the president about than the pandemic that's raging? He's out of his mind. So when someone is there trying to infiltrate your administration before you actually take office and it's exposed and the Department of Justice exonerates, we thought, Michael Flynn, it's not a big story. And of course, Brian Stelter's commenting on that was with the first few questions we talked to the president about on Friday, uh, uh, last Friday, en route to a 45 minute interview where we covered the pandemic. Katie Pavlis joins us right now. She often agrees with Brian Stelter. I'm sorry. She never agrees with Brian Stelter. I read my what? notes wrong. She's with Town Hall and Fox News contributor. <laughs> would you, would, I'm sorry. What is true? My, my notes are all screwed up. Did Brian Stelter make a lot of sense just now? Um, no. It's, it's almost like they're trying to cover for their years and years and years of peddling a false narrative because with the release of these you know, new transcripts by the ODNI, it's very obvious that they were played. They used people like John Brennan and uh, people from the FBI who were, who were fired, like Andrew McCabe, who was then under investigation for, for lying to investigators. They used what they were saying. As fact, do you remember all of the anonymous sourcing that we heard about and every single bombshell story was completely anonymously sourced? Well, it wasn't sourced based on documents. It was based on political operatives from the Obama administration who continued to carry over this narrative. And they just thought that they would never get caught because in Washington, usually things don't change. And they underestimated the idea that President Trump would appoint someone like Rick Grinnell would go in there and say, no, 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 this is not going to be the status quo. There is going to be accountability for what happened. And we are going to show everybody what the truth is. And they were counting on that information being kept behind closed doors by someone like Adam Schiff. They never thought it would come to fruition. And they look like fools. And instead of just saying we were wrong, our sources are wrong, we're going to take a look at how we use anonymous sourcing from now on and you know maybe if they have a political motive we shouldn't be allowing them to be anonymous in the first place and abusing the anonymous source uh, privilege because which is usually reserved for people who are you know whistleblowers or people who may lose their job as a result of talking about something like this instead of taking a hard look at why they reported things incorrectly for years um they're just trying to change the narrative and i'm sorry brian this is not a scandal for President Trump. You know, it's not his fault that the virus came from China. It's a Chinese virus. This is something that has happened to the country. It's not something that he did and then covered up. It's something that he is managing to the best of his ability. But this is not a scandal for the Trump administration, as he claims. So a couple of things that are coming down the pike. Michael Flynn and that judge that clearly has a personal animus towards the three-star general who has now put his life in hyperspace because he says, I'm going to have an amicus brief that allows people to file their version of what should happen to Michael Flynn. Uh, and there's no date for him to get a, be in front of the judge again. I think personally, uh, Katie, they're waiting for Michael Flynn. Uh, they're waiting for Donald Trump to lose in November because they believe he will and get a new Department of Justice and maybe try him again. 
Yeah, I mean, that's the only thing that makes sense. I think it's absurd that they're now asking for amicus briefs from outside uh, agencies who and people and political operatives and, and, and very distinct uh, people who have been after Flynn and on the side of the bad actors in the situation. It's kind of strange to me that you know, this is not a Supreme Court case that affects the rest of the country, depending on the rulings. We file amicus briefs. It's about an individual uh, who clearly, you know, the case was supposed to be closed in December and it was continued to be open. Um, so, yeah, I think you're right about them just trying to, to wait it out. But I think that's a, a hope that they may be disappointed about come November, given the current situation with Joe Biden's campaign. Do your sources tell you that Rick Grinnell is going to tell us who requested the unmasking of Michael Flynn and possibly others? Do you do you think Rick Grinnell is going to yeah. let us see that? So I have been told that the, know, the list will not yeah. be released by Grinnell, but that it will be released. So, you know, DOJ is saying that they're not going to release it. Um, other sources are saying that Grinnell is not going to release it. So I'm not exactly clear on who's going to release it, but I think there will be some back and forth and discussion. I, know, I talked to a source yesterday at DOJ who said that, that they just want to make sure that they're they're acting uh, appropriately and applying it in a relevant way to the cases. And, they, and of course, John Durham's situation is, uh, investigation is still ongoing, and they don't want to put any of that in, in jeopardy. So it, it's kind of a waiting game, but I've been told it will happen soon. It just is not clear exactly which department or agency will be releasing it at this point. But I've been told it will be released. It's all- Okay, uh, because uh, we saw the DOJ punted and said it's not really our thing. Mm-hmm. That's uh, the Department of National, uh, you know, the uh, the DNI yeah, director I mean, the DOJ is of National saying, Intelligence. Look, it's DNI's list, the DNI declassified it. They can release it. Um, so we'll just have to see exactly how that goes down. How interesting would it be if the truth, if the rumors are true that John Brennan had information that showed the Russians actually wanted Hillary Clinton to win and he suppressed it? What would that do to this I whole mean, narrative that, that Brian Stelter is so sick of? That makes perfect sense to me, Brian. I mean, if you look at, um, you know, the fact that Hillary Clinton left her server wide open for the Russians to take a look at what was in her server. She was, you know, emailing classified information on an unsecure server. Um, that's an easy thing for the Russians to take advantage of. Um, she was stopped on Russia. She showed up to the, a meeting with them with a stupid plastic easy button, uh, you know, as a d- diplomatic uh, gesture, uh, whereas President Trump, you know, has criticized Europe for, you know, continuing to buy Russian um, oil and gas as, you know, they continue to say that NATO is an important thing to to push back on Russian aggression. I mean, if you look at the policy positions of Hillary Clinton under Barack Obama and how Obama was soft on Russia in terms of not giving Ukraine lethal weapons, um, you know, saying that he will have more flexibility after his reelection, you know, please transmit that to Vladimir, et cetera. The policy positions of the Obama administration, which Hillary Clinton was a part of and an extension of as secretary of state, are far worse for the United States and better for Russia than the people who were working in the Trump administration on the Russia issue. It just it makes no sense that they would want Trump as a as 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 the person in office in the United States. So Lindsey Graham is chairman of the Judiciary Committee, and he says as things come down, he is ready to act. Cut 37. Yeah, the question for us as a as a Congress is, did the Obama uh, administration 
use unmasking as a political weapon? That's the question that I want to answer. Uh, the January 5th meeting, I'm dying to know exactly why Sally Yates didn't know about the Flynn investigation, but President Obama did. I would uh, urge Rick Grinnell, who's done a terrific job, to release the names of the people who made the unmasking request. I know. Uh, so he's calling on it, too. Is he waiting for John Radcliffe to get confirmed? Then he steps away from that job? Or does he do it and let Radcliffe take over? I, I think it's going to, the list will be released before Grinnell uh, is out of that acting position. Um, maybe they will wait until Radcliffe gets confirmed, but I, I've been told that it will, it's coming soon. So soon to me means like in the next couple of days, uh, at least the, a week. And I, I'm not sure when Radcliffe's uh, confirmation vote is, mm. um, but I think it's going to, just based on what I've been told, that it's going to be released. So. You know, Grinnell can kind of do that and walk away and then go do his own thing without having, you know, to deal with the, the politics of it. Um, but I'm, I've been told it's going to be released so we can stand by. It just depends on, you know, the issue here is, OK, so right. where will there be accountability for the people who possibly engaged in illegal activity by leaking these names of the unmasked and, and, and Americans to the media? Because that is a crime. And so whether the Senate Judiciary Committee through Lindsey Graham can do some accountability, he's been talking for a long time about how he wants to hold hearings on you know, FISA abuse and all the, the abuse that went on at the FBI. But then he also says that he's waiting for John Durham to finish his investigation because he doesn't want to impede on an ongoing investigation like Adam Schiff did, for example. While the Mueller investigation was going on, Adam Schiff was doing his yeah. own investigation. They both came to the same conclusion that there was no collusion. Um, so... You know, we'll have to see what kind of accountability there is. Um, there's been more lately than I've seen in a while in Washington. You know, the, the, the motto here is screw up, move up, rather than, you know, get in trouble or be held accountable for your actions. Um, so we'll just we'll have to see. But the president right. wants accountability and the American people do as well. So, Katie, uh, you wrote an article about uh, Chuck Grassley. It's time to find out what Biden knew. And he said that. So mm -hmm. they played that cut on Good Morning America and listen to what Joe Biden said, because keep in mind, he was a vice president they want to tell us was very hands on. Cut 45. Your former Senate colleague, Charles Grassley, has added that Flynn was entrapped and asked on the Senate floor, what did Obama and Biden know? When did they know it? So what did you know about those moves to investigate uh, Michael Flynn? And was there anything improper done? I know nothing about those moves to investigate Michael Flynn, number one. Number two, this is all about diversion. This is a game this guy plays all the time. The country is in crisis. We're in an economic crisis, a health crisis. We're in real trouble. He should stop trying to always divert attention from the real concerns of the American people. The American people are worried with good reason. Okay, first off, it was Grassley. No one's distracting. This is a major story. Then Biden realized how wrong he was. Cut 46. Now, I thought you asked me whether or not I had anything to do with him being prosecuted. Okay. I'm sorry. I, I, I was aware that there was, that there, they asked for an investigation. But that's all I know about it. And I don't think anything else. So <laughs> how's Biden doing explaining himself? So Joe Biden's entire campaign has been based on I have 30 plus years of experience in Washington, D.C. I am a statesman. I, I, I have leadership value. I've been in the room when big decisions that President Obama made uh, had an effect on the country. Well, he was in the room when President Obama told Sally Yates 
and was informing her and giving her information about what the FBI was doing with Michael Flynn and listening in on his phone calls. And the question, Brian, is this. What did Joe Biden know? How involved was he? And what does he think about the idea that the intelligence agencies were weaponized for political purposes against a political campaign? Because this is about abuse of power, and he was part of the Obama administration, and there are serious questions about whether he would employ the federal government agencies, whether it's the IRS, the Department of Justice, or the intelligence uh, services, to go after people politically. Because the Obama administration has a long track, track record of doing exactly that. And people are, if you look at polling across the board, people are worried about abuse of power and, and corruption and government overreach and the over-politization of our institutions, which is why they don't trust them. And so that is a big question that Joe Biden is going to have to answer. And he can't argue on one hand that he is he was involved with the, the Obama administration. He had a lot of responsibility and therefore he was like a preview to him being ready to be president based on his experience as vice president but also argue that he didn't know anything, even though he was in the room of the meeting when all of this took place. So gotcha. he's going to have to figure out how to kind of square those two things. Katie Pavlich writes for Town Hall, Fox News contributor, plays a key role in The Five. Are you on The Five tonight? I will be on Sasha Report tonight, actually. So I will see you there. That's also a very good show, Katie. You're going to become even more famous. <laughs> Katie, thanks so much. Appreciate it. <laughs> thanks, Brian. Have a good one. You got it. When we come back, uh, we take a little break from the politics and talk about how people are dealing with the pandemic. Elizabeth Lyons joins us, very successful country music star, and she's going to be joining us from Nashville with a special message. It's Brian Kilmeade. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The name of the song is Brave Enough, and the singer-songwriter is Elizabeth Lyons, and she's released this brand-new single uh, to raise money for COVID-19 and focuses on the people it should. You just you got it. Truck drivers, postal workers, grocery, gas, pharmacy, store clerks, janitors, security, farmers, anybody else I might have left out, uh, they're included, those who are working through it all, while risking getting the virus, and we, we, which we still don't know everything about. Elizabeth Lyons, congratulations on the song. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for sharing the song Brave Enough. Hey, no problem. So I know I know where the premise came from. What made you think you should take this moment where you have to sit and pause and write it? I believe, you know, music is healing. It has always been throughout my entire life. And I wanted to recognize everyone uh, with this song, Brave Enough, um, of, for everyone that sacrificed seeing their, you know, their lives on the front lines day in and day out. Wow. So when did you write it? So I actually wrote it back in 2016. 
2018, and I wrote it with my friends um, Georgia Thomas Edgeworth and Heidi Ray, and it was really about, you know, just being brave enough to follow your dreams, but I think this song has taken on a new life of its own, and now is about, speaks to everyone from being a parent at home and parenting their children to teachers who are continuing to educate online to all the workers who are laid off or feeling the economic impact to ones who've lost someone that they've loved. And, you know, we all have to be brave enough to keep going and we're all in this together. And it's really taken on a new life um, in a way that I never really had expected. But that's the cool thing with music is once you put the song out there, you never know what's going to happen. And I believe with, you know, my platform, what can I do in a, a, a place of crisis is to try to give back to the community and and this is the way that i hope to do that through my music so how would we do that elizabeth the song is fantastic i've listened to it a number of times you just heard a little of it if people want to download it how could they help thank you it's on all music platforms um the youtube video has really resonated with a lot of people i think we're almost at like forty thousand views which is crazy and um you know the proceeds that i i get from uh, all the music, you know, the, if you download it on iTunes or Spotify, listen to it, save it, Pandora, Amazon Music, uh, wherever, whatever platform you listen to music, um, you know, I will be donating proceeds to a bunch of different fundraisers. Uh, recently, I was uh, a part of the Band Together Online Benefit Festival, raising money for musicians. Nice. Um, music Cares is what I'm donating to on Spotify, Topbox. Uh, American Cancer Society, Robin Hood, Kips Bay Boys and Girls Club, TJ Martell Foundation. I'm wow. trying to donate to a lot of different foundations so that, you know, we can spread the wealth everywhere and give back to as many people as we can. Yep, Elizabeth's got over one, um, has over 1 million streams already going into this. You've opened up uh, for uh, Florida Georgia Line, Blake Shelton, Luke Bryan, everybody. Real quick, in 20 seconds, how do you deal with the fact that you're not going to be in front of crowds anytime soon? You know, I have dealt with that. It's been hard. You know, I had, um, I love seeing people. And one of the reasons I do music is to be able to touch people and make them happy. Uh, the way that I'm dealing with it is trying to connect with people on social media in a new way. I've been cooking, posting video, uh, with videos of me cooking, which has been really fun. And people nice. love that. Um, and just connecting with them in a way that I, I never thought that I would. And trying to really take care Fantastic. of making sure that, yeah. The, the name of the song is Brave Enough. Go to at E Lions Music for more. Elizabeth Lyons, thanks so much. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Get ready for another hour of the Brian Kilmeade Show. Special thanks to everyone who helped the paperback get off to a great, uh, a great start last night uh, on Sam Houston, the Alamo Avengers. I was able to go with KRMG over in Tulsa, and they were able to host me on some Zoom, my first uh, virtual book event. Won't be traveling for the first time in my six books. Never, always travel. Won't be traveling this time for obvious reasons. But thanks to everyone that got it, and thanks to the president, uh, just retweeted it, which was pretty, uh, which was pretty nice of him, um, because it's a great story of Texas, great American story, but great American Sam Houston, hardly perfect, but extraordinary. Uh, we have Dr. Sapphire standing by, and she's got a great book out too that can actually change your life. 
And uh, Ennis Cantor, outstanding player with the Boston Celtics, Turkish-born, fantastic guy, former Nick, former Oklahoma Thunder member. I think Paul would trail, trailblazer too. Uh, I want to talk to him about getting back in the game. Uh, and what does he think the NBA is going to do? We'll talk about all that with you at one 408 But first, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I'm not surprised to hear that Judge Sullivan wasn't prepared to accept what the department wanted to do. He was prepared, I think, to pronounce sentence. He didn't have much use for Michael Flynn, and basically he had suggested he mm-hmm. you know, was a traitor at one point. Yeah, uh, Britt Hume uh, pointing out what the judge did, and yesterday, it was stunning. A setback for Flynn. While the truth about the Obama administration behind the scenes behavior reveals a nasty, reckless, uh, possibly unconstitutional investigation to Flynn and others, what we now know and what we're about to know could shape the 2020 election. Number two. Our caucus have agreed that everything is coronavirus centric that relates to the virus. In terms of the House phase four bill, it's got so much unrelated to the coronavirus, it is dead on arrival here. Uh, there you go. That is Lindsey Graham. Spend, spend, spend. House Democrats reveal what their real priorities are as they unveil the largest stimulus spending yet. How about $3 trillion? Republicans say, I don't think so. Number one. This is not about politics. It's about us. So this created a false divide, sort of two wars in, the, in America, an us versus them war and an us versus the virus war. If we try to fight both of those wars, we're going to lose both of them. Matthew McConaughey, one of the few men sexier than me by almost all accounts, taking politics out of the pandemic. McConaughey says there's no other way. Someone tell the nation's governors as red states look to open and blue state governors look to shelter. Let's see what the stats say and what the polls reveal about who is right. Without any further delay, let's bring in Dr. Nicole Sapphire. You see her all over the channel and maybe uh, in the hospital. She's a Fox News contributor and author of Make America Healthy Again, a great book that can transform your diet and the way you approach life. Dr. Sapphire, welcome back. Hey, Brian, thanks for having me on. I do have to say I'm a little jealous about your presidential book retweet, though. I mean, come on, Make America Healthy Again. You'd think you would love to retweet my book. I know. I had no idea. That's how I got up today. He did not uh, He did not do it for Jackson or the hardcover of uh, <laughs> Sam Houston. Maybe he realizes he needs Texas. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah. um, so, Dex Sapphire, first off, you know, Matthew McConaughey says, hey, can we get politics out of the pandemic? When did you realize that we can't? Being that you grew up in the medical profession, that's been your career up until the last few years. When did you realize that politics was playing a role here, or do you? Well, come on, Brian. I mean, the subtitle of my book, How Bad Behavior and Big Government Caused a Trillion Dollar Crisis, that tells you that I know that politics inserts itself into the healthcare system and, in my opinion, has actually made it worse. And, you know, unfortunately, we have seen with this global pandemic, we have seen ugly partisan politics. Um, You know, they tried to rear their ugly head during the Senate hearings yesterday with Dr. Fauci and others. But, um, you know, unfortunately, the legislators tend to have their own political agenda and they're not necessarily taking into account what's right for the country. So I want to see where we're at right now with this battle. And I saw Dr. Scott Gottlieb, who I know you respect. He said... Nationwide, excluding the New York region, which has sustained declines, new uh, new COVID cases, hospitalizations and deaths. Nationally, we were seeing a steady increase. But the trend over the last two weeks is says it's now declining. The national epidemic is slowing. Doubling time is now 45 days. 
How would you summarize what he just summarized? Well, absolutely, Brian. And, you know, I couldn't be more excited and optimistic to see these trends because the last couple of weeks outside of New York, New Jersey area, the rest of the country had been having some increases in their new cases because they haven't been on as strict of lockdowns as our New York City area. However, the recent projections are showing that elsewhere across the country, we're actually we're seeing more of a plateau and a beginning of a decrease. They're not having as steep as a decrease as we are. But then again, we were the epicenter. We had the most amount of cases. So it made sense that we had such strict lockdowns. But I do think that at the overall look at the health of the nation, we are getting control of this. We have plateaued almost everywhere. And a lot of areas are starting to decrease. And that shows us that social distancing works. But now we have done what we set out to do. We look to flatten the curve. We look to make sure that our healthcare system wasn't overwhelmed. We're there now. So now is the time you have to start getting smart about maintaining some level of finite distancing measures while also making sure everything is reopening because we need to boost the economy again. So, Dr. Sapphire, a lot of people, I don't think you did, that's not your style, but mock the president when he says, you know, there's a, med- there's a medical price to be paid for sheltering in place. The psychological uh, factor, the self-esteem factor, uh, what happens when you don't go to your cancer screenings or do other things because you don't want to go to the hospital or you were told to put off those surgeries. Now, people are writing about that. What have you seen? While we look at the coronavirus, what else is happening to people? Well, Brian, I think it was early February that I actually said on Fox and Friends that I was concerned at some of the long-term consequences at stay-at-home orders and the economic fallout that they would far outlast that of the virus itself. And unfortunately, it's proving true. You know, what's my business? Mine is early cancer detection, mammograms, uh, lung cancer screening. And we had a significant drop-off in early cancer detection because of the cancellation of non-elective procedures. I've seen one report estimating up to 80,000 missed or delayed cancer diagnoses because of um, the cessation of the elective procedures. And so we know that there's gonna be some catch up when it comes to cancer detection, but also the mental health aspects, what we, we, I mean, this is something that's been talked about a lot because it is so true, the anxiety, the depression, the domestic violence, the overdoses, the suicides, I mean, this is all, legitimate concerns and you and so when the president talks about these things that's because he's not a public health expert but he is charged with the task of taking care of all americans not just COVID 19 patients so he has to focus on the economic issues and the mental health issues and the COVID 19 issues and that's his role a couple of things i'm sure you saw some of in between your tv hits and your full-time job uh anthony fauci and the cdc director and the fda uh, director on with this uh, half, uh, half Zoom, half uh, committee meeting in Washington. And Rand Paul went after Anthony Fauci and says, listen, you're not the be all end all. Here's what Anthony Fauci said in response. Cut 15. I, I have never made myself out to be the end all and only voice in this. I give advice according to the best scientific evidence. You use the word we should be humble about what we don't know. And I think that falls under the fact and we don't know everything about this virus. I think we better be careful if we are not cavalier in thinking that children are completely immune to the deleterious effects. So what is, uh, I, I know that this children thing is something I want to cover, but overall, 
Uh, I think a lot of people are saying Anthony Fauci seems to be doom and gloom. He's got everybody's respect, <laughs> but he doesn't seem to have a, a, a optimistic cell in his body. Well, actually, let me tell you, Brian. So, first of all, we have to keep in mind, Anthony Fauci's responsibility is the public health response to a foreign pathogen. He is myopic, and he's supposed to be myopic. That's what he does. Again, he is not the end-all, be-all, as Rand Paul said, because he is supposed to focus just on our response and looking forward when it comes to this novel coronavirus. And to be honest, I actually thought he, he gave me a lot of things that I found quite optimistic during yesterday's Senate hearing, okay. which I listened to most of it. One, he talked about Rebemzevere. He talked about the modest improvement in recovery. He talked about that we are actually going to have availability for this for hospitalized patients. And then he also talked about that he believed that late fall, early winter, that there would be potentially an effective vaccine coming out of trials. It doesn't mean that it's going to be available, but he actually was optimistic in a vaccine. And I'll be honest, Brian, I haven't been as optimistic because after decades of research in coronavirus vaccines, we haven't seen one. So the fact that he was cautiously optimistic, I think that's a good sign that we actually may have a vaccine within the year. Um, And he also deferred to General Girard and Dr. Redfield that saying how how rapid and how fast they have gotten the tests available and that they truly believe by the end of summer that they're going to have such a large amount of testing that they, we will have point of care and we will have the ability to surveillance test all of things which are necessary to make sure we can move forward. If you uh, want to stand up the country again, and I hope fundamentally at our core we all do, why aren't we studying the success that Georgia has had so far, South Carolina and Florida? I mean, we don't seem to want to write about good stuff. But what if, why do you think that Georgia has defied the odds and even the president in opening up everything from tattoo parlors to gyms and has d- done nothing but continue to see declines? Why is that? Well, I think that Georgia, so, you know, unfortunately, you know, Dr. Fauci put out, well, not just him, but the task force put out these very, these very conservative measures to make sure that they can reopen America again. You know, some of these uh, these states decided to do it a little earlier. And yes, as of right now, it does seem like they're having declining cases. It's like they're being smart about it. They're maintaining certain areas of social distancing. However, we do have to get a couple more weeks as, as we were talking about the curve for the last couple of months. It, it's not just a one to two day snapshot. It's like a two week snapshot. So I would say after two weeks, of their opening measures, if we don't start seeing the uptick at that point, Brian, I'll be the first person to put together an opinion piece about how we need to be looking at those efforts. But, you know, I'm I'm cautiously optimistic they're doing great right now, but I, I will need to All give right. it a little bit more time before I can say that it's been a success. So in your book, Make America Healthy Again, you, you talk about being proactive with your health, not just playing defense. You know, I have a lung problem, a foot problem, whatever it is. What are some things we can do to help put up our own force field, uh, should we come in contact with the coronavirus at any level or just to be healthier overall? Well, listen, Brian, I go into this in detail in the book. 60% of Americans have one of those comorbidities that we keep talking about that makes you vulnerable to COVID-19. So if you want to make yourself stronger, especially when there's a potential second wave in the fall, you, your family, your friends need to start eating a healthier diet. You need to start physically moving a bit more. That doesn't mean become a gym rat. That just means getting up, moving around. And also you need to make sure that you're maintaining some social connections because that's good for mental and physical health. If you do those three things, then you are giving yourself a much better shot at just 
not being severely affected by COVID-19. If you take the take the measures you need to be healthier, that's overall going to make our country healthier. And maybe next time we won't have to shut the entire country down because we're living such unhealthy lifestyles. How much uh, of, the, of the death that we're experiencing here in America is because we're not healthy enough? How much is it because of the way we're handling the virus? And how much is the fact that we're, we are targets for the disease because of these underlying conditions? Brian, we spend over a trillion dollars a year in the United States because of chronic illness, of which 80% of it could have potentially been prevented through simple lifestyle modification. Had we done that from the get-go, not only would we be in a better place economically, but our nation would be much healthier, and therefore COVID-19 would have not affected us the same way. And at that point, maybe it would have just been the elderly, and we would have been able to target that vulnerable population much easier. Unfortunately, we have an unhealthy society, a lot of which has comorbid conditions, which may have been prevented. So I say right now... Dr. Fauci and all continue to talk about a potential second wave. Now is the time to make those changes because just doing a little bit will actually do a lot in the long term. So if we all just did a little bit better in terms of diet, physical activity, and mental health awareness, we would be in a much better position come the fall when we may see a potential second wave. Go get him. Dr. Sapphire doing a great job on TV, in the hospitals, and on radio. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Brian. All right. Pick up her book, Make America Healthy Again. Uh, You can't go wrong. Uh, When we come back, it's your turn. 1-866-408-7669. I'll get through as many calls as possible. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Remember, we're talking about the Michael Flynn situation and unmasking when it's going to come down. Uh, Also, we're talking about the $3 trillion. Do you want that check? Can America afford that check? You're with Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. He's been focused on on this for a long time and and he's now drawing on as molly said all this new information is coming out and and thank goodness for rick grinnell i mean i've said on your program brett we've talked about this we need we need radical transparency when it comes to everything that's gone on here and because it's clear now that the american people have been lied to for years and we need to get to the bottom of it it's the only way that we can restore public trust in these institutions and that's why now all of a sudden you have people like brian stelter saying why are the uh, why is Fox so interested in uh, obsessed with the Russia investigation? You lived off Russia for four years. All we're saying is we're beginning to get answers to the big mystery. The Mueller report didn't solve it. The Ukrainian letter didn't uh, call didn't solve it. Now we get more information about the Michael Flynn, the Paul Manafort case. By the way, news, Paul Manafort got out of prison. He's going to be under house arrest for the remaining of his term. Coronavirus related, we think. Who's supposed to be there? I think he's, he's got a lot of years left, but at least he's able to get out of solitary and out of prison. Uh, everything he was charged with, he already was exonerated from before he became Donald Trump's campaign manager. Uh, but that's a big question uh, with with Michael Flynn and everybody else. When are we going to find out who called for the unmasking? And the unmasking is essentially if uh, Kislyak calls into this country, we're listening to the call. He calls out of this country, we're listening to the call. Who's he talking to in America? You're not supposed to know who's on the other end because of privacy concerns. 
and they were. And remember, uh, and remember, Michael Flynn is still in limbo. That judge says we're going to have an amicus brief, which means this whole thing's on hold, unless people just want to randomly uh, weigh in on this. Uh, let's go to the phones right now. Herb is listening to WNIS in Smithfield, Virginia. Herb. Hey, good morning, Brian. Top of the morning to you from Southside, Virginia. By golly, it's another great day to be alive. But, you know, 5 January 2017 will go down as a blot on history as far as Obama is concerned and those other people that all took an oath to uphold the Constitution, and they blew it big time. In fact, the treacherous cabal that they initiated is worthy of the hardest justice that can be applied to them. Thanks so much for the call, Herb. Some of your emails coming in. Robert says, if Dr. Fauci is the public health expert, why is there not a model projecting the deaths and negative health outcomes related to each day the country is locked down? Seems like there should be a comparison. The COVID models with the health perspective models. I agree. Why is no one discussing the fact that kids don't go back to school and daycares, then their parents can't go back to work? I should discuss it more, but I have. Also, Travis writes and says, I'll be grabbing a Jersey Mike sub soon. What a wonderful sounding, caring individual. That's how he came off. He's a great story. You should look it up. They're doing great things for the community and the country. And finally, uh, Shirley writes me and says, my husband and I will no longer distance ourselves from our children and grandchildren. We're 73 and 75 and excellent health. My husband plays golf. We are probably healthy, more healthy than most 50-year-olds. Enough. It's not one size fits all. I agree. When we come back, we talk about the NBA. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Well, I said that a month ago. Now, I'm glad Big Fella agrees with me. It's too dangerous. It's not safe. I don't know how they can make it safe. You know, everybody's talking about putting them in a bubble uh, in Vegas and in Florida. But you you can't put the hotel workers in a bubble. You can't put people who work room service in a bubble uh, and people who work in the hotel. And I'm not sure players want to stay in a hotel for two straight months. Because you can't leave the hotel to go out and get something to eat. You got to worry about the virus. I said that uh, about three, I said I think it was three weeks ago they should cancel the season. Charles Barkley, forget the NBA season, even though we're in the backstretch looking at the playoffs, which was going to be a historic year as LeBron comes uh, with the Celtics, competing with the Clippers and other great teams. Of course, in the East, uh, the Celtics and Raptors, uh, two of the best, would have a chance of uh, an epic season. But is it too much of a risk? They were the first major sports league to collapse uh, when two of their players tested positive. And now, uh, are they going to be one of the first to come back? We'll have NASCAR this weekend. We have UFC last weekend, but no crowds. Ennis Cantor plays basketball for a living, an outstanding player with the New York Knicks, with Oklahoma, with Portland, and now with Boston. Uh, he's born in Tur- Swiss-born Turkish professional basketball player whose family's going, going through all types of hell with that horrendous dictator Erdogan over in Turkey, but he tries to put it behind him usually and just create havoc on the court in a big way. Ennis, welcome back to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Thank you. It's an honor. I really appreciate it. Ennis, how weird has this been, not playing basketball this time for the first time in your life, perhaps? I'll be honest with you. I It is very weird because I gained 78 pounds, and I'm actually scared to weigh myself in again. And I'm literally just trying to just stay positive and active as much as I can. Are the Celtics opening up their facility to let you train? 
I, you know, I had a really good conversation with the with mayor and also, you know, the our head coach, and you know, I think they are looking to open up the facility on the 18th, and uh, and then well, it is going to be optional. It's not mandatory for for sure. It's just going to be optional because I feel like they're they're NBA thinking the facilities are the most safe place that you can go there and practice because there's going to be a special guy. Whichever activity we do, they are going to clean up uh, right out, right after us. So I, I think I think it's a, I'm, I'm excited about it. I guess you could be excited. Not everybody is. What is the? Do you want to go back and play? Do you want to finish the season? I mean, I had a conversation uh, with Adam Silver a couple of weeks ago. Sorry, a couple of days ago. And then when we were talking to him, I mean, for them. Uh, all they care about NBA, uh, you know, the players and fans safety first. And Adam Silver said, even if we open up the season, it is going to be 100% without the fans. And um, I think they are looking to make a decision be- between you know, two to four weeks if they are going to cancel the season or not. But um, I think even if the season cancels, the practice facilities will be open. And uh, I think the last thing I heard, they're looking for two locations, Orlando, but possibly in Vegas. So and I, I heard a lot of cities are calling the NBA want to host the uh, players, but right now we, we literally have no idea what Adam Silver is going to do. But uh, one thing I heard that whatever the NBA decides, players has to agree with it. So it's not going to be against the players. So players are going to have a voice in it too. Here's what Mark Cuban said: Cut fifty-three. All right, he says uh, it's now or never uh, for the NBA. He disagrees with Shaq and Barkley on canceling the season. So he's the owner who's still paying his people and they're not working, and he's always saying go with the science. But he says you you can't give up on the season. I mean, mean, so Adam Silver said the same thing. Every owner, so 30 team owners, wants to go out there and play and compete if it's all safe to go. And, I mean, it is the decision, I think, going to be between the players and, the, you know, just um, the, the teams, I guess. But, uh, I mean, they're, they're trying to just put the whole NBA in a one hotel. But I don't know how safe it's going to be because you cannot put it's like it will, it, you cannot put the whole you know, NBA teams in a hotel and stay in there for two months. And what about the workers at the hotel? What about the you know like the room service people? What about the cleaning service people? So you cannot pull every, every, every everyone in in a bubble. But like, I mean, they I heard that they were they, they were thinking about moving the whole NBA in a different country. But but then Adam Adam said it, it will be very tough. So they are not looking for it. But right now we're literally just uh, wait, waiting to see what the the two or two to four four weeks decision going to be but uh they're still thinking about the regular season games but but if they're gonna if they're gonna play it or not but i think playoff games it is going to be seven game a series and four rounds for sure if we uh, return back to play and have you thought about you know the celtics one of the top teams in and certainly in the east have you right. thought about playing without fans and when's the last time you played a game that mattered <laughs> without anybody in the stands um i think i was i think i was 15 years old, so like 12, 12 years ago. But like, without the fans, it will be very awkward for sure because like, think about it, Game 7, Eastern Conference, but Finals, 
and you have you you have no fans because like the NBA fans, what makes NBA is all about. But I think for now, uh, for the safety of uh, people, I think without defense will be the most you know I guess the smartest thing. And I think you know they were thinking about actually starting the next season around Christmas time. So when this virus will be maybe you know just will go away more, so more fans will come. So there's going to be there's so much rumors out there, but we have no idea what the decision going to be. So there's testing different plans, and one of which would be take mm-hmm. the teams that haven't qualified for the playoffs and put them into a tournament, almost a play-in game. That would yep, give your yep. former team, the New York Knicks, a chance to actually make the playoffs. Uh, you know how great the fans are in New York, right? Uh-huh. How far are they from being a legitimate playoff team? I mean, they just changed their coaches. They really yeah. don't have a star. When you play them, how far are they off from – one of the best teams in the East. I mean, I, mean, I will be honest. Uh, they're a little far because, I mean, they're a very young team. They're still rebuilding. You know, there's so many good – there's so many young good pieces in that team, but, like, all they need is experience. Uh, you know, they just fired their coach. I think they're going to have a, a new coach now. But I, I feel like – I feel like it's, you know, it is all about experience because they're just so – such a young team. And whenever they, you go out there, you, you can see the talent, but you, you don't see the experience. So I feel like in, in a couple of years or maybe maybe few years, you know, they can become one of the you know contenders in, in the league. They're twenty-one and forty-five, so they're almost looking to tag and get a player. But there's no great player. There's no LeBron mm-hmm. waiting in the wings, uh, uh, or Zion to transform yep. your franchise. Um, uh-huh. Compare the compare the Celtic fans and the Oklahoma fans, and compare them with. The New York fans. I mean, so like Oklahoma, Oklahoma fans were different because that is the only major sport in Oklahoma. So it doesn't matter we lose, we win. They were always there for us, and they were always cheering for us. Boston, I mean, it, it's a sports town. You got the Patriots, you got you know, you got us, you got this and that. So like they love sports, so they come no matter what. Uh, I mean, Celtics obviously have won you know seventeen championships, the most in NBA. So like they always you know from Larry Bird, Robert Parrish, or, you know, just Bill Russell. So they feel that atmosphere, and they come to games every every night. With the Knicks fans, I feel like, you know, just, I mean, you see some of the teams out there, when you start losing, when you're 21 and 45, people start to not show up for the game. But the Knicks fans is not like that. You know, it doesn't matter how, how bad you play. It doesn't matter how good you play. They're always there for you. They're always cheering for you. So I, was, I had an amazing time with, uh, with the fans when I was playing for the Knicks. So I had an amazing time. And it's real life uh, is never far away from your mind. Uh, you grew up, if I'm right, in Turkey. Your family mm-hmm. has been through the hell of the Erdogan regime. Not only are they constantly warring with Syria and Russia, but inside, as he tries to take control of that country and pretty much has, what has it been like for you? I believe that you didn't travel to London with the Knicks because uh, you felt as though they might put a hit on you, right? What about your family? Yeah. I mean, it's tough because last time I saw my family was back in 2015. I mean, every Mother's Day, it was just a Mother's Day a couple days ago. It's just tough to just... It's just tough to see, like, all the, you know, people just hugging their mom and just, you know, just 
pain, how much you love him, but I cannot even call and talk to my family. But I don't know if you heard that the, the latest news that what the Turkish government is doing, they literally said in all the, you know, the serial killers, mafia leaders, child rapers or smugglers, human rights, human traffickers are free, but they're keeping journalists and political, you know, prisoners in, in jails, including babies and women. And uh, if they, because of the, because of the coronavirus, so if this virus spreads in jails, there's going to be so many people will be affected by this virus. So like I'm literally trying to do everything to just get the word out there and try to put pressure on them. But um, I hope it will work. You, I uh, tweeted out for you, but you put together a video talking about what's going on in Turkey and what your family's going through. Mm-hmm. Where's your mom and dad? Where are they? They're, back, they're still back in Istanbul. You know, my dad goes to a trial every three to four months, and they, you know, they just accuse him of just being my dad. That's it. You know, they put him in jail for uh, seven days, and they let him out. My family had to put a statement out there and said, we are disowned, so Turkish government will leave him alone. But uh, Turkish government didn't believe that. They came to my house. They literally take every electronics away, and they wanted to see if I am still in contact with my family or not. Luckily, I have not. I, or I did not get in touch with them, or they will be all in danger. I mean, my my little brother was playing basketball in Turkey, and he literally got kicked out every team because of the last name. My sister went to medical school for six years. Now she cannot find a job because of her last name. So, like, it, it, it's been very rough. But, like, I mean, you guys know my story because, you know, I have a platform, and I talk about these issues. But what I'm trying to, like, tell people Listen, there's so many people and families out there. Their situation is way worse than mine. I hear you. But uh, if people uh, want to help, I put that video. They, you can go to my, uh, go to Ennis's yeah. uh, Twitter feed or whatever. You can retweet it and show support and get the word out. Uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully, you'll get the situation solved. But something else is going on every Sunday for two hours. Most of America is sitting down and watching the Michael Jordan story, The Last Dance, the story yeah. of the Bulls. <laughs> Here's a little of it. Clyde was a threat. You know, I'm not saying he wasn't a threat. But me being compared to him, I took offense to that. I'm working for NBC. I'm covering the finals. So the night before game one, we were at Michael's house playing cards. And he said, you know what's going to happen tomorrow. I'm going to give it to this dude. Michael didn't want anybody to have nothing over him. That was him talking about Clyde Drexler in the finals. What did you know growing up about Jordan, and what are you learning from this? Yeah, I mean, he was like, he was a hero of mine, like every kid, you know. I actually had a chance to meet him when I was 16 years old in New York, and it was like a dream came true. But I think watching the last dance, you know, the, the, the Jordan story, I feel like you're talking about goosebumps. I'm like... I'm just so amazed every episode goes by, you know, it just, it just shows how much, how much he dedicated himself, how much he was so disciplined and, you know, just for his, for his love and passion for the game was just so amazing at a different level. I mean, you can see why he was Michael Jordan and like why he was like the greatest of all time. So like, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited about the last episode this uh, coming up on Sunday, but um, it's going to be fun. I'm, I'm sure. Better than LeBron? <laughs> oh, wow. that, that's a tough question. But like, if we if we play if they play one on one, I'm taking LeBron. But if if they're not playing a team, I'm taking Michael Jordan. Interesting. He's also bigger, right? That has a lot to do with it. Yeah, uh, LeBron. Yeah. Uh, and it's uh, best of luck. We'll keep in touch, and hopefully, we'll be playing basketball yeah. soon. 
uh, I look forward to some direction because I think America really misses yeah. it. I think it would be great to see, see you guys yeah. on the court again safely. And it's Cantor. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Uh, the Appreciate guy it. comes to play. He, yeah, you got it. He's the blue-collar player everybody wants in their team, Ennis Cantor, uh, who's also got some skills, a lot of skills. When we come back, your turn to help me wrap up this hour, Brian Kilmeade Show. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Today, in many ways... It's a new phase, if you will. May 15th is the end of the statewide closure. May 15th is the end of this week. Uh, And the question is now going to shift more towards localities and regions across the state to uh, make sure they're in a position to open. And uh, the state will be working in coordination with them. But... It's an exciting new phase. We're all anxious to get back to work. I hope he means it because we need it. There's three counties that are ready to go back to work in the first phase. There will be a second phase pretty quickly. Long Island, they say, is not hitting on all cylinders that they need, but the hospitalizations are going down. Uh, The incubations are almost flat. Uh, The number of cases is going down, and they've been going down for 24 straight days. So I think it's time for the business owner whose PPP loans are running out. If you want a gym, if I can be a little selfish, if you want a gym in the New York area, any of them, besides a rich guy that's using it for a tax write-off or woman, I believe you got about a week or two to act. If you think you're going to wait till July like the mayor of Los Angeles and open up Long Island, forget it. If you're the Nassau County or Suffolk County executive, go to bat for Cuomo Tell them you're going to have an insurgency and an insurrection like what's happening with uh, 12 to 20 counties in Pennsylvania if you hold everybody down too long. And this rule about no sunbathing, you can walk on the beach, but you can't lay on the beach. My goodness, get a tape measure out. You could see the difference in blankets. What is the difference? Separate the people, separate the families. I mean, things like that. You can't play tennis, but you can play golf. Makes absolutely no sense. My hope is that Matthew McConaughey gets his wish, that we begin to stop the partisanship. However, I'm not optimistic. Cut to. You know, a few weeks ago, about a month ago, uh, I could feel that this united purpose we all have as Americans to beat this enemy uh, and this virus, that purpose got hijacked a bit by partisan politics. And all of a sudden the narrative became, if you want to go to work, you're on the far right. If you don't, Want to go to work and you want to stay home, you're on the far left. And now even the mask wearing is getting politicized, where if you want to wear a mask, you wear a mask, you're a liberal. And if you don't, you're a conservative. And, and that's just not true. So this created a false divide, sort of two wars in, the, in, a, in America, an us versus them war and an us versus the virus war. And, you know, if we try to fight both of those wars, we're going to lose both of them. I agree. Uh, and I don't know necessarily if I agree with him, the Republican-Democrat thing. Real quick, let's end on a light note. Brian, WRCN Long Island. Brian, you want to take on the LeBron Jordan conundrum. What do you think? Yeah, uh, there's, there's no way. There is no way LeBron could, I mean, he couldn't carry Michael Jordan's lunch to school, okay? There's, there's no way. I mean, Michael Jordan's the best he ever lived, and he beats LeBron nine times out of ten. Um, as far as, I just wanted to bring back uh, buying American-made products. Probably lately, I, I've been uh, really doing a lot of uh, 
research and and looking into it. And it's not that difficult to do. I mean, if, if you just if you just put in a little bit of effort and you know in your searches, make sure you put buy in, made in America. And you know, some are a little misleading. And and if you just look into it, maybe send an email to the Got company. It. Make sure. I like it. Brian at WRCN says buy America. The president should say that too. Brian Kilmeade Show. Get Sam Houston, the Alamo Avengers, now on paperback. Listen to the all-new Brett Bear podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.